Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Well, there's no doubt that being diagnosed with cancer is life-changing. People uh, often talk about their lives in terms of before and after cancer. And as hard as it is to receive this devastating diagnosis, it's often even harder to have to share it with loved ones, especially when those loved ones are children. Many families struggle with what to tell children and instinctively try to protect them from the uncertainty, the fear, the feelings of powerlessness that often come with a cancer diagnosis. But the reality is that children, even very young children, can feel the impact of an illness on a family. Today, we're joined by two amazing women, author, cancer survivor, and mother, Donia Youssef, and Carissa Hodgson, program manager at Gildas Club in Madison, Wisconsin. Well, every family is different and has its own needs, but Donia and Carissa are going to share with us their insights and experiences about breaking the news of a cancer diagnosis to children, talking to them about the impact on their lives, and helping them to cope through all of the changes they are living through so that you can find solutions that best serve you and your family. We're going to meet Donia first and will later be joined by Carissa. Let me tell you about Donia. She has a wife, a mother, an entrepreneur, a writer, and a cancer survivor. She is the award-winning author of The Monster in Mummy, Demonstify Cancer for Children, and a columnist for Sovereign Global Magazine. She is the director of Tiny Angels Models and Tiny Angel Adults Limited, both modeling and acting agencies, and recently launched Tiny Angels Press Limited. Donia currently resides in the UK, but spent her childhood in the Middle East, where she was homeschooled by her British mother, who was a primary school teacher, and her Egyptian father, who was a consultant anesthetist for the British Army. That's an anesthesiologist for those of us here in the States. After her diagnosis and treatment, Donia decided to lead her life with renewed purpose and inspire other parents to overcome traumatic news and empower them. She is now an advocate for cancer survivors and is raising awareness that behind every cancer diagnosis is a real person with dreams and aspirations. Welcome to the show, Donya. Hi, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Um, Donya, before we get started and jump in um, to the topic at hand, tell us how you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really good actually, really really good. Um, well, actually, I've been in the hospital today for more checkups and stuff, so yeah. it's been a, a busy day. But um, yeah, I'm good. I'm 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 feeling I'm feeling good good these days. <laughs> Fantastic, good to hear. Good to hear. Um, so speaking of busy, you are a busy lady, a wife, mother of two girls, a businesswoman. Can you yeah. tell us a bit about what was going on in your life um, when you started to feel unwell? Right, I was um, breastfeeding my youngest actually, and 
I was quite tired, but I, I, I obviously put it down to running the agency, um, which obviously is very, very busy, and not getting much sleep with my youngest. Um, so I started losing weight, but then I was trying to lose weight anyway. So it was all, you know, a bit of a coincidence, I guess. And I'm just getting more and more tired. And um, when my youngest started sleeping slightly better through the night, I became even more tired. Mm. Um, and then I just thought, have I got like postnatal depression or something? Because I was feeling quite low and I couldn't understand why I was doing exercise. I wasn't drinking. I don't smoke. I was, you know, leaving, leading quite a healthy lifestyle. Mm. Um, so it just didn't make sense. So I went to the doctors and I said, look, guys, um, I'm feeling tired. Something just doesn't seem right. They did tests and all the tests were fine. Um, so then I was like, okay, um, I'll just get over it. You know, it must be just me um, just going through it through, you know, various motions, whatever. So I went out. I remember I hadn't been out for ages. It was my birthday. I thought I'm going to go and treat myself and go out with some friends and have a drink for the first time in a while. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I let my hair down, had a great night, had a, you know, obviously had a few drinks, but I was very violently sick. Mm. And I wasn't sure if that was, again, because I hadn't drunk in ages. Yeah, yeah. Um, or what it was raging to. But I woke up in the morning with a huge um, lump under my armpit. And I thought, had I fallen over or something? Oh, my gosh. Um, but it wasn't. It was a big lymph node because I called up my father, who's obviously a doctor. Mm. And he said, have you checked your breasts? And I said, well, no. I just literally abruptly stopped breastfeeding the child because um, she wouldn't get off the breast. And um, it just felt like hardness. There was no lumps. But he said, just please, please go to the GP. I want you to get checked out. So I yeah. said, okay, fine, I'll go. So I did go, and that's they picked up straight away. They said, look, we can feel some, some hard lumps in there. So they referred me straight away, and obviously it was picked up immediately on the mammogram, and then the biopsies confirmed. So, yeah, they diagnosed me with breast cancer, um, which had spread to the lymph node, so I had to start the chemotherapy straight away. Um, and, and what age were you, Donya, when this happened? I what was year? 39. Mm-hmm. So they would say that, uh, that the tumours took three, that they're estimating about three years to grow. One was seven centimetres, one was five centimetres, and one was three centimetres. So it took a while, um, which obviously I had no recollection. I couldn't feel anything as such. So it was actually quite scary to know that all of this was going on, and I was oblivious to it, I guess. And is the guideline in the UK for mammography same as US, 40? You start at 40, so you wouldn't have even had a, a screening mammogram yet? Yeah, that's right. No, I didn't have any any mammograms. Um, and I, to be fair, I wasn't even checking because I wasn't really aware. Um, yeah. So I just, yeah, I just didn't think about it. I thought, well, breastfeeding, you know, you're, you're fine when you breastfeed because it mm -hmm. kind of protects you. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the case. Um, yeah. So, it you know, it scared me because I never even imagined it would be breast cancer not at 39 when I had two little ones of course, um, of course. you know the youngest she wasn't even two my eldest she wasn't I mean she just turned five but you know they were both young and um yeah it was just it was just really shocking and really frightening sure. to, to 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 
understand that that was what I was being diagnosed with. Of so, course, of course. So tell us a little bit, Danya, about the about the sort of the diagnosis, the prognosis, the treatment plan. Just quickly, kind of walk us through what they were recommending at that they point, because I really want to uh, get into the discussion about the girls. You know, yeah. six months chemotherapy. Um, they wanted to do a lumpectomy, but then halfway through my tr- chemo. Um, they confirmed I had the BRCA2 gene. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. then they said I was high risk of ovarian cancer. So they changed the chemotherapy to accommodate, um, you know, if obviously for the ovarian cancer as well. Then they removed the ovaries and the fallopian tubes. Then they did a double mastectomy instead of a lumpectomy. So they did, um, it was called a Dieppe flaps. So it's a 10 hour operation and they, um, they removed my stomach fat and implanted it so I had natural implants Mm -hmm. um so I mean it's pretty amazing what what they can do now so I had that I had the therapies I had Herceptin therapies I had um various drug um bone strengthening drugs um that I'm on a trial at the moment so I mean yeah it, it was quite intense I mean you know my brain's uh, they, they call the chemo brain so it, it's right. sometimes you, you forget and you your brain freezes and you, you forget certain things but you know it was so intense I mean so the, the point is I ended up getting sepsis because I had to have chemo every week in the end mm. and I got blood clots and you know I was always in and out of A&E and it was it was it wasn't nice at all and you know obviously with the young kids I just yeah you know, some days I was just living from hour to hour because as soon as I hit temperature, you know, I'd have to call the ambulance or get to A&E within the hour to get the anti- IV antibiotics in me. Mm. Um, and that happened every week. I was constantly mm. in and out to the point they had to get the, um, the, the drips to come, the nurses to come to my house in the end because I was picking up everything. I li- literally couldn't leave my house in the end. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. Um, but, um, I got through it a year exactly to the date. I, I, I got the all clear, which was amazing news. And, um, they obviously removed my lymph nodes. Um, so I had an operation to remove all of them because there was still unfortunately cancer in the lymph nodes after all mm-hmm. the chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously with any, cancer patient you know you've always got the fear of it coming back and you know they're going to do another biopsy um on on another you know investigate another area so it's it never really goes away but you just learn to to cope better with it should we say yeah so Donia let let's um so thank you for that for that background and for sharing that um let's pivot to the girls you said the girls were your daughters were five and two at the time um so just take a minute to tell us, you know, to what extent did they know something was wrong? When and how did you decide to tell them what was going on? Like, to w- walk us through that period. Yeah. When I first found out, I was just crying constantly, but I couldn't tell them. Um, I mean, they obviously knew I was upset, so they were getting panicked. Um, the moment, I mean, they started playing up with me really badly, You being really naughty. And it was their way of crying, you know, they want their mummy, you know, they didn't know I kept going to the hospital, they didn't know what was going on. And I was just didn't want to hurt them or I 
just didn't know what to do. And then, you know, after a while, I thought, I've got to be honest with these kids. You know, they need to know rather than me trying to hide something when they know something's up. Um, the little one was um, like, if I'd come back from the hospital, she would um, get me really angry and push me into my office mm. and make me stay in there. Mm. And it was like her way of saying, don't you know, yeah. don't go. Yeah, yeah, it was really weird because wow. I just couldn't know. I didn't even know where she'd got this from. And I was questioning mm. her nurse. I go, why is she pushing me in the room? She's never been pushed in a room. I don't understand. Um, and then my eldest was wetting the bed and she'd never wet her bed in her life. Like she was really good potty trained easily. And she was crying at school and, and it was just, it was just all getting too much. Everything was out of control. You know, I just didn't know what to do. And then one yeah. day I thought, right, I'm going to take control now of things that maybe I can have a bit of control over. So it started with my hair cause my hair all started falling out and it was just, it was horrible. I put my hands through my head and clumps of it. I was like a molting cat. And then I thought, kids, I want to, you know, let's do something fun with mummy. Let's cut mummy's hair. And then I said to the mummy's got to have some strong medicine and it's probably going to fall out. Um, and they they kept asking questions and I just still didn't know what to say. So I researched and I bought a book online um, it was called Mummy's Lump. It was recommended by um, one of the charities. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, I sat down one day and I thought, I've got to be brave. I've got to tell them. And it was like admitting uh, it was a really hard way. It was like I was accepting cancer by telling my kids and I didn't want to accept it. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. When I sat the children down either side of me, I mean, my little heart, I was fighting the tears back because I was like, I can't. I just was so terrified of seeing them hurt. And I was more angry at the cancer because it was like, how can you do this to my babies? They don't deserve this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was it was it was mental torture, if you ask me. It was horrendous. Mm -hmm. So I sat them down and you know what? They accepted it so well. So they, you know, they were like, oh, is that what you've got, mommy? I said, yes, mommy's got a lump and it needs, they're going to take it away and they're going to give me this strong medicine to make it better. And weirdly, after all this anxiety and Mm. worry and stress, it was like the plug had been pulled and they were fine. And they just (laughs) accepted it. And then from day dot, because the way I kind of express myself is to, to write mm. and I wanted to get it out. So I, I wrote daily a diary and I didn't even think about writing a book, but I just wrote it as just personal, you know, as an outlet, should we say. Yes. And, um, afterwards, um, yeah, it all, it, it came to the, to the point that I just thought halfway through treatment, I wanted to write a book put it in a book and I knew my kids were happy when they saw this and I saw all these other mothers suffering on all these groups unable to communicate the diagnosis to their children so I thought well I've done something which I felt really worked for me by just reading this book but I felt I could bring a little bit more to the platform and to help my kids further so I 
I got an amazing illustrator on board and I got them to draw my children. So they were involved. I wanted them to be part of this journey because they were part of it with me. And um, we were all on it together and we'd all get through it together. So that's what I did. And um, they were so excited, you know, the journey, looking at their little pictures of themselves. And it was just really lovely to see them happy and excited and and it just made me really happy and I was just I was just buzzing so then I turned from this horrible negative I'm going to die you know I'm preparing for my death and you know trying to source you know partners for my husband so he could look after the children I mean it just went crazy um um but it it turned into a positive then and 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 then I, I got on a a different mindset and and then it was so rewarding when I published the book and mm. um and I was helping others as well and yeah. and you know so from helping myself and my children I then managed when I got the all clear to publish the book as a thank you and I I wanted to help everyone else as well so that's fantastic where the monster yeah. and mummy was born from yeah yeah. And then, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Just, just, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful story. And I think that um, mm-hmm. on the show, on Frankly Speaking About Cancer, we, we, we love to hear these stories about folks who really took their own cancer experience and, and turned it into something that would really help others through your own um, experience. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take I a, uh, we're going to take a quick break, don't you? And we've got a lot more uh, to cover yeah, yeah, yeah. in our next, uh, you know, in our next segment. But uh, we're talking to Donya Youssef. Uh, she's a writer. She's a cancer survivor, and has written an award-winning book called *The Monster in Mummy: Demonstify Cancer uh, for Children*. We've got a lot more to discuss with the book. Um, this is frankly speaking about cancer. Our episode today is brought to you in part by Bristol Myers Squibb uh, Insight. Cell Gene, Lily Oncology, and Merck. Um, we've got a quick, uh, take a quick break. We've got a lot more to discuss with Donia uh, Youssef, so don't go away. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We'll be right back. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. At Lilly Oncology, we know people living with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, deserve more. There has been progress made over the last few years in bringing forward new treatment options, but there is still more to be done. Lilly Oncology is focused on raising more awareness through education, more research, and more dedicated solutions to help empower people living with this disease, because together, we can do more for MBC. This content is selected by the cancer support community and is funded in part by Eli Lilly and Company. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, 
Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Train, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. At Lilly Oncology, we know people living with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, deserve more. More can be done for the mothers, daughters, sisters, wives and partners facing the unique challenges of this advanced disease. And every moment counts. While there has been progress made over the last few years in distinguishing MBC and bringing forward new treatment options, there is still more to be done to truly support the women and men living with this disease every day so they can continue to be there for family and friends. Lilly Oncology is focused on raising more awareness through education, more research, and more dedicated solutions to help empower people living with this disease because together, we know we can do more for MBC. This content is selected by the Cancer Support Community and is funded in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. Our episode today is brought to you in part by Azi, Gilead, Janssen Biotech, and Pfizer Oncology. Today's show is all about talking to kids about cancer when a loved one has been diagnosed with this devastating disease. With us is entrepreneur, mother, and cancer survivor, Donia Youssef. She's the author of the award-winning book, The Monster in Mummy, Demonstify Cancer for Children. Um, Donia, so you, you, you found some of these other resources. You found it was a, 
you know, pretty tough time talking to your kids, but they actually, even at their young age, were kind of intuitively knew more than maybe you thought. And um, were, you know, once you figured out a way to explain this to them, that they were really ready to kind of take it in and, 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 and get on the train with you. So um, you, out of this experience, decided to create your own um, book while you yeah. were um, in treatment. So tell our readers about that and, and what led you um, to take on that project. I just found it as, as a therapy initially. And then I just, I just, 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 I just found it really inspiring. And I, I was up late each night researching a lot. And there was a lot of things I found out, which I, you know, I kind of fell upon, um, which, you know, there was amazing support out there. There was amazing charities out there. You know, they were offering us holidays and things. I mean, it, there was just so much out there, which I didn't know. And a lot of mothers don't know so with all of this information I just wanted to share it with everyone and I just thought it's no point just me knowing all this information you know and and not being able to to, to help others in the same situation and seeing you know some of the some of the young mothers very young mums um going through it it was just so traumatic and I'm I'm such a, a one just to want to help everyone and I hate people seeing people suffering so I then wrote the book and then from the book it just developed and we then you know we attracted um, you know lots of um, you know lots of people around the world and I decided I wanted to then help others share their stories too so I launched um, Tiny Angels Press um, Limited publishing company um, exclusively for cancer patients, cancer survivors, just so I can help them um, share their story and, you know, feel, you know, that happiness, that positiveness, you know, and just to spread the awareness um, of cancer and make people more aware and not to be such a a taboo or not to be such a scared, freaky out thing because mm-hmm. it is just so common now so yeah uh, you know it doesn't have to be a death sentence which I thought it was initially what and but what did you want your daughters to take away from what you were writing what was the story that you wanted to tell them and what did you want them to, to take away from what you wrote I wanted them I wanted them to understand what it was and it was nothing to do with them um, I wanted them to be reassured that I was telling them the truth and I wanted to make them feel more confident. Um, I wanted to take the fear away from it mainly, you know, and I just wanted them to feel, you know, involved and not excluded or or they're hidden away from it or I just... I just what that's why I got them involved with the book. I wanted them, you know, they read it, they took it to school, the little one, you know, looked at the pictures. So I kind of adapted it to all age groups um, mm-hmm. from youngsters, you know, so the picture book that they can look at. And, you know, the, my youngest still reads it now and she'll point at the pictures and 
make up her own story for it <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it's very cute but the eldest one she's she'll read it you know she'll read the book or she'll take it to school and her friends she gave it to her friends and her friends loved the book as well and her mom one of the friends at school actually said look put the book down and she says i don't like reading any other book I only like this book so from that mm. it was like really lovely and it was just yeah, I wanted to make it positive for them and hope. And, and you know, in life without hope, you know, we, you know, we, we don't live, should we say. So I just wanted to, to give them a, a realistic view of what potentially could happen. Mm. And also, um, you know, to, to give them hope to just to, to try whatever they can to to change the mindset you know none of our days are guaranteed and you know that's you know I got to the point whereas with initially if I'm worrying about dying of cancer um I'm not gonna it's gonna strip me of my life and you know I could get hit by a bus tomorrow so I just had to change my mindset and I wanted them to adapt to that too mm -hmm. and talk about death you know it's all going to happen to all of us um and this is where I, I i i've pushed on on another book i'm working on as well about death as well because it's a really tough um thing to talk about i mean my children obviously question a lot they did question me a lot and that's i put a lot of questions that my children asked um relative in the book um, for other mothers as well, because they all ask a lot of questions um, from young. So, and they know a lot more than what we actually give them yeah. credit for. It's so true, isn't it? They really, yeah. they yeah. really do. Um, Donia, I want to ask about the title, The Monster in Mummy. Where did that title come from? And did you have, I mean, I'll, I'll confess I was a little taken aback. When I, when I learned about you and started reading about you and, 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 and when I read the title, did you have any doubts about using the word monster in the title that it could be frightening for small children or, you know, tell us about, tell us about the title. Um, it crossed my mind. Yeah, of course. But then I thought ugh, kids can relate to young kids can relate to the word monster mm -hmm. and it is a frightening thing, you know, mothers do die and I just needed it to be realistic it's not something like a you know just to take on lightly right. so with that in mind I felt yeah I felt it was right I, I felt it was the right thing for the title of the book and obviously my children have been fine fine about it you know there's they watch the monsters on the in the, on the tvs and you know in other books and stuff and you know it is a monster it's not nice cancer is horrible you know it shouldn't be there so i, I didn't want to fluffy it up or make it something it's not you know it is it, it's, it's not nice and it does kill people and you know that it is a realistic thing which happens so yeah i just i just didn't want to undermine it should we say yeah 
Yeah, yeah. So, Donya, your book became an Amazon bestseller within 48 hours of its release. So congratulations on that. Yeah. And I think that really is evidence Thank of, you. you know, the gap that was out there, right? And the need and the, and, and, and the desire for more, uh, you know, for more of these things. You know, we have a book at Cancer Support Community called What Do I Tell the Kids? And um, it's one of our most popular books. It just flies off the shelf, you know, because people do really struggle with how to talk to kids in an age-appropriate way. And they struggle yeah. with understanding some of the myths, you know, and misconceptions that kids have about uh, uh, that kids have about um, cancer. So this project led you then to launch your own publishing company called Tiny Angels Press Limited. Tell us about the the publishing company, about your mission there, and kind of you know what you're publishing and what you have in the pipeline and what we can expect to see down the road. Right. Yeah. So. I then reached out um, on social media and I wanted to help others. So the second book I published um, was called Facing the Monster. And it was um, actually um, a photography um, lady, a friend um, or an associate, should we say, now a friend. And um, she went through a very aggressive cancer and she wanted to get her images out so she 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 photographed all these cancer patients and then she allowed them to tell their stories so she's got like a it's in a beautiful it's a huge big coffee table book actually and it's a photographic book um of the stories of cancer patients survivors ones sadly passed um just as the book was published um so he, you know, he didn't unfortunately get to see 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 the whole the book in his hand, but the other cancer survivors are in there. So that was, and it was so beautiful to see all the emotions which went through it. Um, so that was the second book which published. The third book which was published um, is called The Monster and Emma, and it's. Um, finding the humor um, with the tumor. And this is a really comical read and it's so uplifting. Um, and so it just brings another dimension um, to the table. And um, yeah, beautifully written, really good fun. And again, you know, it's just, she reached out to me because she saw the other book and um, saw what I was doing. And, you know, it's just amazing. And just seeing her so happy and excited, it was just so rewarding. And then the other book we're doing is The Monster and Mikey. And he's a 12-year-old little boy. And he's a child and he is in remission now. But he had a very rare form of bone cancer. Um, but thankfully after he went through a lot, um, but he wrote the book, um, with me and we're publishing that, um, well, we're launching it at the Houses of Parliament in London on October the 14th, mm. um, which is going to be very exciting. Right. Well, exciting. Yeah, and then I'm writing, I've written two more books. Um, one's called The Monster in Wonderland, which is actually turning, as we speak, into a, a children's animation film as well. And it's all about, like, beautiful um, hope and life and delivering the story, but in quite a subtle way, uh, but still delivering the message. So my main mission is to literally keep going, keep going with this huge 
um, cancer campaign awareness I'm, I'm wanting to do. Obviously, my money is going to um, the cancer charities as well. And then the monster in Grandma. That's a book about. That's the book about death. Um, so that's what I've touched on. That will also be launched in the Houses of Parliament. And the newest book, um, which I'm working on currently at the moment, is um, it's actually a cookery book for children um, going through cancer because you you your taste buds change. You you find it difficult sometimes to chew and. So that so we've got chefs like Michelin star chefs all over the world, like top nutritionists who have all contributed to this book. Um, and it's just amazing, um, some of these recipes. And that's going to be launched at the House of Lords as well. So, I mean, there's a Wonderful. lot going on. Wonderful. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, that's quite a uh, that's quite a pipeline, lady. So uh, congratulations. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. on, on all of that success. Um, unfortunately, Dunya, we're at the end of our show um, and, and uh, our time together, but uh, I just I just want to thank you for joining us today. It's really been wonderful to learn more about you and, and your story and to learn about your daughters um, and, again, taking your own cancer experience and turning it into this opportunity and ways to talk to kids um, about cancer and uh, take away the fear, take away the uncertainty and, and uh, give them the language and the confidence. So I thank you. uh, I thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, I want to make sure our listeners don't go away because we've um, got more uh, to discuss on the topic with, uh, with Carissa Hodgson, who's the program manager at our Gildas club uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. So thank you, Donya. Hang on for for Carissa. We're going to take a very quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. At Lilly Oncology, we know people living with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, deserve more. More can be done for the mothers, daughters, sisters, wives, and partners facing the unique challenges of this advanced disease, and every moment counts. While there has been progress made over the last few years in distinguishing MBC, and bringing forward new treatment options, there is still more to be done to truly support the women and men living with this disease every day so they can continue to be there for family and friends. Lilly Oncology is focused on raising more awareness through education, more research, and more dedicated solutions to help empower people living with this disease. 
because together we know we can do more for MBC. This content is selected by the Cancer Support Community and is funded in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Our episode today is brought to you in part by Pharmacyclics and at the company Takeda Oncology and Tesoro. A couple of our other sponsors, we'd like to thank Agios, Estellas Pharma, Janssen Oncology, Taiho, and Veristem. Uh, I'm Kim Chibaldo, and we are going to continue our conversation about talking to children about a loved one's cancer diagnosis. Joining us now is Carissa Hodgson. Carissa has been a program manager at Gildas Club Madison, Wisconsin, since 2009. Her work centers around supporting kids and families who are navigating a cancer journey, shaped largely by her childhood experience of losing her father, to lung cancer and stepfather to liver cancer. In her role at Gildas Club, she's able to work directly with survivors and co-survivors of all ages, as well as develop psychoeducational programs to support the whole family. Carissa earned her Master's of Social Work from UW-Madison. She's a family therapist and oncology social worker who has worked in areas of child and adolescent development, chronic illness, caregiving, gender identity, sexuality, trauma, Grief and Loss, and Family Systems. She's the co-chair of the Association of Oncology Social Workers Youth, Families, and Cancer Special Interest Group. She lives in Verona, Wisconsin with her social worker wife, young son, and her silly mutt. She looks forward to time spent with family, meandering through the prairies near her home, uh, scratching off a visit to every state park in Wisconsin and finding a quiet place to kayak, telling goofy stories, and laughing really hard. That sounds good to me, Carissa. Count me in. <laughs> um, Carissa, I, I started the show by saying that um, adults struggle with what to say to children. Uh, they want to help, uh, but they're concerned about creating fear, causing harm, um, and they just sometimes are at a loss for words or at a loss for how to talk to kids in an age-appropriate way. What is most important for kids to know when a parent or loved one is diagnosed with cancer? 
Yeah, so um, a lot of families um, that we work with are pretty similar to Donia's story, um, which is um, being having some really good intentions of wanting to spare kids from any unnecessary burden or worry. But truly, as, as she alluded to, it can create um, something that's far scarier. So we really do want to talk to kids, and there's some things that you really want your children to know. First and foremost, cancer is not their fault. So nothing that they did or said caused cancer. And I think sometimes that seems silly to parents who have older kids or teens, but quite honestly, I've worked with adults who have a part of them that believe that, you know, something terrible they said to their father might have caused the cancer. So it's, it's okay to keep revisiting that cancer is not their fault. Mm-hmm. Also, we want kids to know that cancer is not contagious. So it's not like the cold or the flu. Um, they can hug and snuggle the person with cancer and not catch it. And one thing I like um, to do is avoid using the word sick with kids because that can be a little confusing and promotes the idea of it being similar to the cold or flu. Mm-hmm. We also want kids to know that any question's okay and that they'll be answered honestly and kept informed if things change. And lastly, kids need to know that no matter what happens, they're going to be loved and cared for. Kids are pretty egocentric, and that's okay. That's where they're at developmentally. Um, sure. And they really just want to know, like, how is this going to affect me, and um, what does this mean for me? Um, is someone still going to be there to take me to soccer practice and make my lunch? So they need to know that there is a plan. Um, and that does necessitate, then, that parents do make a plan. And creating wills and guardianship plans is valuable for all parents, regardless of cancer. And I know it can be scary. Um, But I've also heard parents say that while it was hard to think about and initiate the process, completing it really did decrease their worry and freed up their energy so that they could be more present knowing that a safety net was created. And what I love is I I was able to look at Donia's book, and she covered all these points. So so these are important points that you cannot revisit enough. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I've also heard uh, people say, um, Carissa, that it's important to, to... keep a schedule and keep a routine and, you know, sort of keep some discipline and keep expectations, try to keep things a little bit, you know, normal during this tough time. Is that, is that true? Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think sometimes there's the tendency for parents to want to let up a little bit and they think, oh, God, my kid's already dealing with this cancer in the family. I'm, I'm just not going to expect as much from them. But what we find out is that kids can actually be more freaked out by that. It can be pretty scary because they're thinking, God, mom doesn't care that my room's a disaster and she doesn't care that I flunked my math test. And so in their heads, they're thinking that things must be even worse than it is, that mom doesn't care. Mm-hmm. So really what we know about kids is that routines can create a sense of security, especially mm-hmm. at a time when they, when they need it the most. So I, I think that that's important information, um, you know, for, for us to be thinking about. And I appreciate, Carissa, you helping me kind of talk through some of those myths and misconceptions um, and the importance of staying on that, you know, staying on that routine and, and, and keeping that schedule. Um, Carissa, I know that adults and children both struggle with fear and anxiety in this kind of situation. But I think in some ways children have fewer tools, right, than adults are less experienced right. dealing with these kinds of things. So they may not know how to ask for help, to whom to ask for help. They may kind of keep these things inside. What should parents look for in their children that may indicate some distress? And and I'll just add to that, should they be talking to teachers and counselors and being in touch with folks who spend a lot of time with their kids, right? Right. Well, you know, I think Donia hit the nail on the head when she said um, she recognized that something was wrong when she saw her own kids acting out. 
and she really just followed her gut. And I think we need to remember that as parents, we are experts of our children. We have a gut feeling of when something is off. Um, you know, we want to look for, you know, significant persistent changes in our kids. So if they're typically really active and engaged and now they're, they're very withdrawn, perhaps they need some additional support. Um, looking for changes in the big four is what I tell parents. So development, school, sleep, and eating. Donia talked about her five-year-old suddenly um, wetting the bed. Um, that, was a key, that was a cue. Um, looking for problems in school, um, you know, sleep, eating, sleeping too much, too little, eating too much or too little. So if you see any of these, yes, you do want to connect with those support folks. If it's more of a medical issue, maybe you want to connect with your primary care provider. If it's something happening in school, definitely connect with um, one of those school staff. I think we need to remember that kids spend a lot of their time in school, and so they can have some great support there, whether that be with a social worker, a psychologist, um, a counselor, and then, of course, wanting to connect, connect with some mental health professionals who can also offer them some coping skills. I don't think it's ever a bad idea to have that extra set of supportive ears um, or for kids to have additional tools to cope with stress. But by and large, I, I think it's important for parents to remember that kids are resilient. By and large, that they can weather a cancer diagnosis in the family and come out the other end fully intact and sometimes even stronger. Uh, we conducted a survey here at Gildos Club Madison last year and found that many parents and even kids experienced what we sort of call the silver linings of cancer. Um, they reported greater empathy for others, increased gratitude for each other, and enhanced appreciation for life. And some kids mm-hmm. even said that they wouldn't wish that their parent never had cancer because it actually connected them with new friends and taught them new skills. So that's that's pretty telling. So I want I want to go back to the um, to sort of resources that are available. I think you said something that's really important that you know the schools have counselors, they have psychologists that are really tap in you know, to that network is important. I also know, obviously, at, at our affiliates, cancer support communities, Gildas Clubs, we have programs and, and, and uh, you know, experts like you to work with kids who, um, who have cancer in the family and a lot of sort of therapeutic play and things like that for kids. So what other resources should people be looking for um, in the community that might help them through this? Definitely, if you can get your kid or your family connected to some in-person support, um, that, that's a bonus. That's fantastic because for kids, it really normalizes their experience. Um, we're seeking that as adults, but for kids, they might be the only kid in their class that has a mom or dad, grandma or grandpa with cancer. And so if they can show up in person and see other families like them, that's fantastic. If you can find a cancer support community affiliate, wonderful. If you have to get creative about maybe networking in your community, whether it be through school, through church, friend of a friend, creating playdates, find some way, if possible, to get your kids interacting with other kids. It might mm-hmm. be through a camp. There are some great summer camps like Camp Kesem mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that kids can stay connected. It could be through, um, through church and spiritual leaders, again, their school and, and just not forgetting how important those books are for kids. Um, you know, Donia creating all these books, it's such a wonderful resource for kids yeah. to be able to hear and see um, other families like them. It's so powerful yeah. for them. Yeah. I also, uh, I also know that oftentimes, uh, Carissa, there are folks around you, friends and neighbors and, and parents from school who want to find ways to help. I know at Cancer Support Community, we have My Lifeline, which, um, mm-hmm. you know, has a helping calendar, right? And I, I see that a lot of people use My Lifeline 
to put on the calendar, hey, could you take my kid to soccer on Thursday? Hey, could you bring us our family a meal on Friday? How important is it to to kind of guide folks and help them engage, you know, to sort of help you um, kind of get through this with your kids? Yeah, well, and we hear so often from our families that they have all of these fantastic neighbors and friends and their kids' parents saying, we want to help, let us know how we can help. And people with cancer and their partners want to accept that help, but sometimes it's hard to say exactly what you need. So if you Mm -hmm. are able to designate very specific tasks, like you said, whether it's bringing your kid to soccer practice, um, bringing very specific meals, taking the dog for a walk, or just creating playdates, if you can put that out there, um, your support team, um, your neighbors, are more willing to just pick that up because they can see very clearly what you're looking for. Um, So it is very helpful to those support people as well. Let me ask you another question, Carissa. I, I, I know that obviously telling the kids initially about a cancer diagnosis in the family can be very difficult, but that's not the that's not the first and last conversation that's going to happen, right? I mean, even if you look at right. Donya's journey, right? She had some right. pretty tough chemo. Uh, she had, you know, multiple surgeries, um, you know, post-treatment. Um, so, you know, how do you make sure you're sort of checking in? I mean, do you do a a weekly family meeting, or do you just look for those signs from your kids and say it's time for a check-in, or how do you make sure everybody kind of stays in the loop and stays on the right path? Right. Um, Well, certainly talking with your kids, it's not a one-and-done conversation. Um, You'll have to keep coming back to it. Oftentimes, your kids are circling back and asking questions over and over again, Um, but you might need to check in, especially if there are updates. Um, You're wanting to make sure that you are being very honest with your kids, and so if there is an update, Make sure you tell them. Yeah, yeah. So just keep that open flow of uh, uh, of communication. Um, Carissa, I know that parents and uh, you know adults have a difficult time describing what cancer is to young children, and 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 you know I've also heard and read that you know that how you talk to a five year old about cancer is quite different than how you talk to a twelve year old or a fifteen year old. Can you suggest some language that might be helpful um, in terms of describing cancer, explaining what it is to kids, maybe, let's say, sort of younger kids and then maybe, you know, teenagers? Sure, absolutely. Um, Well, first of all, we do want to recognize that, um, and you alluded to this, all kids will pick up um, that something is different in a family. So ignoring that there is cancer doesn't really work. Even even babies can pick up on a change in routine or a change in caregiver. Um, So as best as we can, we're trying to let our kids know what's going on. Um, use the word cancer. Um, I like, you know, Donia said that she wanted to take control where she could um, and by accepting her cancers when she told the kids. Um, and then by telling them, it's when the anxiety really dropped. So um, keep in mind that by telling them and giving language to kids, you're giving them a fantastic coping tool, being able to mm-hmm. put language to what they're feeling and what they're thinking. Um, you may want to help kids, especially young kids, um, show them where the cancer is in your body. Use diagrams. This is when those children's books come in handy or use um, children's cancer glossaries because, man, words in the cancer world are really big and confusing even yeah, for adults. And yeah. so being able to make it a little bit more accessible to kids is fantastic. Um, you know, even young children can understand, you know, using phrases like, you know, our bodies are made of tiny cells. Cancer happens when cells somewhere in our body grow out of control. This stops the healthy, normal way our bodies work. And then, you know, of course, your specific cancer and location will change how you move further with that. 
but that, that helps kids to understand the body and what's happening. You want to use in simple words, short phrases. Um, like you said, you're going to talk to a two-year-old different than a teenager, um, but you definitely want to talk about um, what, what treatment's going to look like, too. So, you mm-hmm. know, mommy has a lump in her breast. It's called breast cancer. Um, something like mommy's going to go to the doctor to get medicine called chemotherapy that should make the lump go away. It might make her feel tired, make her tummy upset, cause her hair to fall out. And so you're just kind of giving your kids these short snippets of information that they can think about and digest and give them room to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some families' metaphors work really well. So I know a big one is, you know, cancer is like weeds in a garden. Um, For Donia, this idea of a monster, that really works well for her family. Um, so using your own unique family language could be really useful. And just one uh, a quick follow-up question on that. I, I, I understand that, that um, hair loss can be particularly traumatic for kids, so important to discuss that in advance before, you know, the parent yeah, experiences definitely. the hair loss. Yeah, just like adults, kids want to be prepared. They want a heads up. Yeah. So if you know that you'll be experiencing some physical changes, um, hair loss, an amputation, any kind of change in your physical body, um, give, the he- the give your kids a heads up, and that might be a great place to utilize some of those books so that they can start thinking about what that will look like so they can be prepared. Um, separation is a big one. So if you know that you will be spending a long time in a hospital um, trying to prepare your children for that separation, there's some fantastic books out there like um, oh, The Kissing Hand and The Invisible String. Those books um, give kids and you um, a touching stone, if you will, that really engages their resilience and allows them to be alone while knowing that you're still there loving them. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, boy, Carissa, I, I'm, I'm sad we're getting to the end of our show here because there's so much more that we could, um, that we could discuss um, on this. But I just I really wanted to thank you for coming onto the show today and, and sharing so many great tips and insights for families who are facing cancer. I want to thank Donia as well for sharing her own story and the wonderful resources that she has created out of her cancer journey to help others who are facing uh, a cancer diagnosis, especially with with school-age kids um, in the home, which is becoming more and more common. Uh, So it's been a pleasure to have both of you on Frankly Speaking About Cancer today. Uh, I'm Kim Tebaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. And I just want to mention to our listeners, we've got some great resources for you, for your families, uh, for your kids. At uh, If you visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org, you'll learn about our 47 affiliates around the country. You can also call and speak to one of our counselors by phone. That phone number is 888-793-9355. Again, 888-793-9355. All of our services are free to people with all cancers at any stage of disease. So give us a call. Thank you for joining today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Until next time, be well. Do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.